Hey, if you have your Bibles, uh, or if you're just walking back to your seats super late, um, you can uh, turn to the Gospel of John, chapter, uh, see it threw me off, I don't even know what chapter we're in now. Chapter four, John chapter four. Hey, if you're on a, on a device, you can go uh, ESV version, and that'll keep you going with us. John chapter four. Last week, we went through about 191 verses covering the, the woman at the well. Um, we saw some interesting things in the way that Jesus approached this woman. We saw some things in Jesus's character as he dealt with this woman. Um, somebody who in that particular time, in that, in that culture, in that society, would have had a great many struggles given the life that she was leading. And yet we saw Jesus approach her in just a really different way. Um, we saw him breaking down the cultural norms, right? Which is what we're always facing. We're just facing them in a different way, not even necessarily in a unique way, but just a repackaged way. And what we see God doing is we see him going to different places and we see him breaking down those things, those what we call cultural norms. And, and what, where, how he starts that process, remember if you were here last week, is he, he breaks down the cultural norms that we've built up in our own hearts. And so God just, God just has a habit of doing that by exposing things, by surfacing things, and at the same time walking with us gently through those things. And we're going to see that he, he continues doing that uh, with this particular man that we're going to read the story about as, as we continue in chapter 4. And this is what he says, picking up in verse 43. It says, after two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. And we pick up here in verse 46, which is going to be the main, uh, the main passages today for us. And it says, So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill, and when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him, asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. And so Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And the official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. And the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he was going down, his servant met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. So I grew up in this massively just hilly, really hilly, really rural neighborhood um, that was kind of essentially how they built it was they carved it out of the side of these, these kind of big foothills. That was the, the neighborhood I grew up in. And uh, we, lived on a, we lived on an acre of land, which is not a lot compared, obviously, with some of you, with the Midwest. If you have an acre in the Midwest, people are like, are you sure you have enough room to build a house there, you know? Um, 
But what the, what the landscape was and how the neighborhood was laid out was that you had to go up these long, steep driveways to get to a lot of the houses and to wind through the neighborhood. And all the streets were these, just these crazy, steep inclines. Um, so anytime that, as kids, we decided to take our bikes out, we were faced with a, well, we were faced with a workout, right? We were, we were, I mean, it was crazy. We, it felt like it was like the Tour de France every time we like went out and wanted to get our bikes and just, you know, do some casual riding, you know, around the neighborhoods. It was, it was a lot, right? Um, but if we did venture out, we had access to, to just the most amazing countryside that you've ever seen. All these amazing trails, trees, meadows, creeks to play in, all, so many things to explore if we were willing just to brave those exhausting hills, right? Which we weren't always because... Cartoons and cereal, you know, those tend to be a big motivator for kids, right? But our faith is like that. Our faith is like that in some ways. It's what we can call an uphill faith. When we're, when we're growing in our faith uh, before the Lord and with the Lord, and as the Lord empowers us in our faith, it's a faith that is kind of always going at an incline, Right? Uh, Simon Liao from this book, Faith in the Wilderness, he's a Chinese pastor. And this is how he described our faith. And I loved this. He said, the road of faith goes uphill. He said, if you do not progress, you will fall backwards. And he said, a faith without much effort doesn't really know true belief. It is not a faith worth having. That's a little bit of what we see happening with this official, this, this nobleman that has this confrontation with Jesus. And it causes us, before we dive in and unpack that, to ask, what, what is faith? When we're talking, so you said an uphill faith, our faith is like moving at an incline, Ronnie. Well, what, what is that? What is faith? How, how, do we, how do we even set this thing up in terms of a definition? Well, faith is trusting that God is working. Faith is trusting that God is working for his glory and for our good, whether we can see the workings of his hand or not, or understand the movements of his heart or not, right? This is what we see in this story that we just read about. This man who was confronted with the opportunity to believe or not believe Jesus' words. And what we're going to see is that a growing faith is an uphill faith because Jesus calls us to believe his words even when we can't see his hands at work. And so the question is for us today, as we just step into this, is are we willing to take a step on that uphill road of faith? For some of you, you're, you're on that incline. Maybe you stalled out. For some of you, you've never even gotten to the, the base of that hill, right? Because this is what we find, that when we do this story shows us how Jesus responds to us in the growing pains of our faith. And faith is all about growing pains. Faith is all about this thing that Jesus is doing in our hearts and lives to grow us, to increase our faith, to increase our trust in the work that he's doing that we can see that we have some evidence of and the work that, that he's doing that we just can't see. It's, I don't know what you're doing right now. I have no evidence that you're even moving, that you're even working, that your hand is even just tied in with the things that I'm doing in my life. 
So we're going to unpack three things that the story shows us with Jesus's, uh, Jesus's time with this particular man. The first one is this, is that Jesus listens to our longings. Jesus listens to our longings. This man, he's called an official here in our passage, but he was, but he was like a nobleman. Um, he was likely part of King Herod's court, and which, which means he had great influence and he had great power. He had obviously heard about Jesus from the miracle that Jesus had performed at the wedding in Cana a while back. But like all of us, wherever we find our power, wherever we find our influence, whatever scale that's on, right, um, it has its limitations. And this dude had run into limitations. He had a son who was terminally ill. And so his, you know, his title, his position, however elevated that was for him, and however important and however prestigious it was, it provided no cure for his son's illness. And so what we see as we read these verses is we see the actions of a desperate man, a desperate parent. And desperate men and desperate women will sometimes get to a point where they're willing to seek any means possible to change what they are powerless to change. Maybe you found yourself in that situation. I just reached the end of my rope. Like I had all these things. I could maintain things. I could manage things. My position allowed me to do that. My money allowed me to do that. My friendships, my relationships allowed me to do that. And then blammo, like something comes into my life of which I got nothing for. I don't have anything. None of those things help the thing that's come into my life that's caused me to fear. None of the wealth or the power that this man had accumulated mattered in that moment. And it's so interesting how God will do that in our life, how he will allow trials to come, how he allows hard things to surface so that we see our limitations, so that we understand that our life is but a breath. Trials test our affections. They test our ability. They test our resources. And nothing will test those things like the loss of a loved one, if you've experienced that. In those moments, we're given a vision of mortality that we would rather not have, of what's important, of what's not important, all of those things coalescing, coming together, doing things inside of us. This man has come to the end of his rope. And here's the thing. There's always something at the end of our ropes that we will try to grab a hold of. There's always something at the end of it. This man pursued Jesus when he got to the end of his rope. He pursued the one person he thought could help and by the way, he wasn't asking the question that last week the woman at the well asked, which was, can he be the Christ? No, he just knew that Jesus had some kind of supernatural power that might be able to save his son. And here's what's significant about that. Jesus listened to his longings. Jesus listened to this man's longing. Jesus listens to our longings. Those things those end-of-the-rope things that surface in our life 
And we just go, I can't do this. I, I don't know what to do. I can't do this anymore. I don't, I don't have anywhere else to go. My resources have run dry. And this is so important for us who are traveling this uphill road of faith. Or again, haven't, haven't yet even taken the first step to remember. So without knowing it, this official, this nobleman, was at the foot of the hill. That is our faith. He was pursuing Jesus, who, by the way, listened to the desperation of his heart. And this brother, he lays out exactly what he wants. Come to my house and heal my son. And it's a bold request, right? He doesn't know Jesus. Jesus doesn't know him. And in fact, this is somebody who maybe could have even used their influence, used their power to say, hey, when I tell you to do something, you got to kind of snap because this is how the, 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 the social, you know, uh, hierarchy is in this, in this society. But he doesn't do that, right? He just lays out exactly what he wants. And Jesus responds to it so curiously in verse 48. He says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And if you read that and you're like me, you go, well, this, this feels like a strange response, Right? Like Jesus was being callous almost, or that he, that he lacked compassion. How is that the first response that Jesus gives this, this man? Of course, it, it wasn't callous and it wasn't lacking compassion. If it did, he wouldn't be Jesus. But Jesus' response here is in reference to the hearts of the people who only desired miracles and magic tricks. People who wanted Jesus to perform spectacles. It was like... This is what we like about you, Jesus. So why don't you just do what we like? Why don't you just perform? Why don't you just entertain? Right? And the problem is that desiring miracles of Jesus is not the same as desiring Jesus. Right? The people in Cana were miracle seekers. You turn the water into wine, what else do you got? And by the way, there would be a pattern of this in Jesus' life. In fact, let's turn up to John chapter 6, verse 25. Look what happens after Jesus feeds the 5,000. The people go looking for him after that miracle when they, when they all get fed. We get to verse 25, and when they found him on the other side of the sea, chapter 6, verse 25, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered, truly I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. And then he said, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. And they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered him, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who sent me. And so they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the man in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread. 
of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. It's almost a mirror of what he told the woman at the well from last week. You desire all of these things. What you're missing is me in the equation. You want me for what I can give you, but you don't want me for the me that I'm offering you. And we do the same thing. A few years ago, uh, Melissa bought me tickets at Christmas time to see uh, a comedian that we like, a guy named Nate Bargetzi, maybe you've heard of him, in Cleveland. Um, now he's kind of big now, you know, he has Netflix specials and all that stuff, but, but a few years ago he wasn't that big. So we were able to see him at this small club, not even 100 people, it was awesome. We are like just a couple of uh, tables from the front of the stage. My expectation when I went to see Nate Bargetzi was that we we're going to go to the club, get some mediocre food, watch Nate perform some new material, and the material was going to make me laugh. My expectation was that we paid for entertainment, we got entertainment, it, it's a great, it was a great exchange, right? If he would have come on stage and done anything else, right? If he would have come on stage and started preaching a sermon, I would have been in like, I didn't pay for preaching. Right? I paid for comedy, my friend. Um, leave the preaching to me, Nate. But he didn't. We paid for comedy. We got comedy. Right? That was the exchange. That was the deal. Right? That was the expectation. But that's how Jesus was being treated by the people of Cana. And at the same time, we know the motivation of this father was to see his son live that was a good motivation. But there was even something bigger going on. I want you to follow me here because there's something bigger going on here that the man didn't even realize. It's shocking to think about what's really going on here underneath the surface, and it's this, all right? This man needed Jesus to save his soul more than he needed Jesus to save his son's life. And Jesus understands that. And at the same time, Jesus also cares about the life of this man's son, right? There was something more eternal. There was something more astonishing going on here. And Jesus is responding in a way that points to the greater narrative of this man's life. And that's how Jesus responds to you. And that's how he responds to me. He's always driving at the greater narrative of your life. What's, what's the actual thing that's going on beneath the surface that you need even more than, than what might be a really vital and important thing that, that's at the surface? Jesus is always coming underneath those things that we want, whether they're very good things like this man wanted or whether they're things that have just, they're just blinding us. And they're deluding our sense of need for Christ himself. Jesus is always moving towards the greater narrative of our life, which is pursue me for me. Pursue me for me. This man's faith was at the foot of a hill, and yet this man's first step toward Jesus would prove to be 
his first step toward the uphill faith of the Christian life. By the way, just like what happened with those who followed the woman at the well to pursue Jesus. And the first thing this man experiences when he approaches Jesus is that Jesus listened to his longings. Here's the second thing he experienced and what we experience in our own uphill faith. And it's this, Jesus cares about our fears and our faith. Simultaneously, intermingled, Jesus cares about your fear and your faith. Where does one begin and where does one end? Right, I don't know. They're like this, they're intermingled. It's, it's, it's a cocktail is what it is. What's interesting is when you go to verse 47, this word ask, when he came to Jesus and he asked, that word means that this man was literally begging Jesus and he wouldn't leave him alone. He was filled with so much fear, rightfully so. So much anxiety, rightfully so. You need to come down, Jesus, before my son dies. This is what you need to do. He was pressuring Jesus. But he was also doing something else. He was also presuming Jesus would heal his son the way he thought it would happen or the way he thought it needed to happen, which was through some kind of ceremony or some kind of ritual. That's why he's telling Jesus, you got to come to the house with me. You got to see my son. You got to put your hands, whatever you do, whatever the thing is you do, whatever your methodology is, I need you to follow me back home, which would have been about four, five hours away from Cana to Capernaum. I need you to come back with me, he says. Which is why it's so interesting the way Jesus replies in verse 50 when he says, go, your son will live. And this is just astounding to us to get that response from Jesus. It just confounds us because I look at that and I go, well, I don't think I would respond. Well, I'm not Jesus, right? I wouldn't respond that way. And we don't see Jesus always respond that way. But to this man, in this particular instance, where he was in the intermingling of all of his fear and all of his faith journey that was just beginning, Jesus says, go, your son will live. And this is just astounding in how dismissive it almost sounds. You mean you're not coming over, Jesus? You expect me to just believe you without giving me some kind of sign? Which is exactly what Jesus was saying. And in that moment, the eyes of this man's heart were opened to who Jesus was. Son of God, creator of the universe, savior of the world, because it says he just left and went on his way. Was he able to articulate all that stuff I just said? Probably not. He simply believed Jesus with a word. Jesus had transformed this man's unbelieving heart into a believing heart. Seeing was not believing. Believing was seeing. Hebrews 11.1 1 unpacks a better definition than I gave you in the beginning of what faith is. And it's this. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. 
the conviction of things not seen. Faith hopes for the unseen. In the same way that Jesus listens to our longings, he cares about our fears intermingled with a faith that requires of us to trust his word without being able to see his results. Jesus has compassion and understanding for those things that bring fear and trembling to you and to me. He cares for us when we cast our anxieties on him, Peter, the apostle tells us. Jesus understands that this uphill road of faith also takes detours and it also takes downward slopes through the valleys at times. But the fears that shadow us in the valleys are also what help to increase our faith when we finally come through them. Man, it was such a incredibly difficult season when my dad passed away back in 2007. I was so afraid of what life was going to be like without him. I depended on him for a, a lot of things. Our whole family did. Um, there were so many unanswered questions. There were so many relationships that changed. It was a fearful place to be in. And yet... It was the catalyst for my faith to increase, for areas of my life to become stronger than they were, for areas of my life to become more mature than they were. So his absence, though it was sad, and I still wish he was around, it also opened up. It, it, it also opened up clearings in that uphill path of faith that I still had to step through that God then used to open up new opportunities for me to trust him. Because maybe I was trusting in what my dad could provide me more than what was healthy for me. All of those things. But the Lord increased my faith through it. And so what we learn here is that the Lord cares about both things. Is it strange to say that the Lord cares about your fear? No, because he cares about every part of you. He cares about every aspect of you. He cares about the things that you struggle with. He cares about the sins that you can't kick. He cares about those things. There's nothing he doesn't care about. And so when we talk about fear and how that prevents us from being more faithful, he cares about that. He's working on that. He's working within that, right? He cares about both things. He used the death of my dad. He used that fear to increase my faith in areas I didn't even know were lacking until my fear exposed them. This is what he's doing with this nobleman, this official this guy that just approached him and said, I got a problem and I need you to fix it. Jesus is saying, you do have a problem. You also have a bigger problem than what's going on with your son. And I'm going to begin your faith journey today, which is something you weren't even 
expecting. You were hoping for a miracle, which you're going to get. But I'm going to do an even greater miracle, which is to bring you, your soul, from death to life. And this is our third point, and it's this. Jesus blesses us in our battle to believe. He blesses this dude because it's a battle. It's a battle. It would probably be helpful if you remembered it was a battle. Things don't get easier when Jesus saves you. It's when the fighting starts, right? Because now you have a heart that has been turned into wanting to please God. And that heart is still contained in this casing of flesh that's saying, no, you don't. No, you do not want to please God. That's when the fight starts. That's when the war begins. But Jesus blesses us in our battle to believe. It would be too idealistic to think that this man didn't have any doubts after he left. Okay? After he left Jesus for the journey back home. The road of faith is uphill even on the day it begins. It's how our faith grows. It's how our spiritual stamina increases. It's how our trust in Jesus expands. But there's an important word that emerges in verse 52, if you look down on the verse, after the nobleman's servant met him to tell him that his son was recovering. And it's the word yesterday. It tells you something about the faith that Jesus had given this guy in that moment to believe his words. Because, you know, I'll be honest, if I was this man, my child was this sick, um, I would have gone home as soon as possible. We know that Capernaum was about four hours away. We know that the seventh hour of the day was about one o'clock. So this guy could have been home at about five o'clock in the afternoon. But it turns out that he waits till the next day. His servant meets him along the way. And he said, the kid's in recovery. And the guy goes, when did that start, by the way? When, when could you see that change? When, when, when did he start coming back to health? He start feeling a little bit better, right? He's sipping the chicken soup. When did that happen? And he said it was at this hour. And the guy remembers, that was the hour that Jesus said those words to me. That was the hour. Jesus blesses this man in his battle to believe. And it turns out that God uses his faith that's 10 minutes old, right? To eventually bring his entire household to faith. Something that small is that big, it turns out. And Jesus does the same with us. He blesses us in our battle to believe. He doesn't always provide us exactly what we ask. He doesn't always heal our children. My dad had a, he had a, a heart aneurysm. He was in the hospital for about a half a day. And we prayed, and it, the Lord didn't spare him. The Lord doesn't always spare those things, those people that we pray for. He doesn't always repair what's broken in this life. He works in incredibly mysterious 
and at times confusing ways, baffling ways. He also answers our prayers just like we ask sometimes. He provides for us in ways that are specific to exactly what we need in all of it. He always responds in a way that never deviates from his goodness, from his glory, from the, for the good of our faith. Jesus listens to our longings. He cares about our fears and faith. He blesses us in our battle to believe. And because that faith is uphill, we need Jesus to walk with us, and he walks with us. We need Jesus to carry us, and he carries us. Because I don't know about you, but it's hard when I have to walk uphill. We were walking some, we were hiking some trails yesterday. We got to the end. There's always this long uphill. Sometimes I just go, babe, could you just carry me right now? And she says, yeah, sure. And then she picks me up and we run up the hill together. I'm <laughs> seeing if you guys are still with me. We need Jesus to encourage us in all of these unique moments in our uphill journey. And because Jesus is the one who has the power, listen, to heal a man's son from death, he also has the power to help us persevere when our faith is weak and our fear is strong. So we just have to ask the question as we end, where are we at? Where are you at on that uphill journey of your faith today? Does it feel, for some of you, here's my question for you, does it, does it feel too risky to go all in on trusting Jesus like this official did? Does it just feel like, what if he, what if he doesn't deliver? Charles Spurgeon, the old uh, 19th century pastor, theologian said, God is too good to be unkind. He's too wise to be mistaken, in other words, wrong. When we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. There's a lot of freedom for me as your pastor to, to look you in the eye and say, I don't know what God is doing in your life. I just know that God is God in your life. Sometimes it's really hard for that to be enough. And that's where we can help one another and encourage one another and say, let me help you and hold you. Let me hug you. Let me walk with you. It doesn't feel like enough, but God has assured us that it is enough as we wait for some moment in glory that we just have a brief glimpse of. And in those moments, our faith is increasing because that's the essence of faith. What's hard is that we would much rather trace his hand before we trust his heart. But that would just make us consumers. That would just make us miracle seekers if that's how it all worked out every time. It would make us ticket buyers to the no faith show, right? 
Jesus told his disciple Thomas, the guy that was struggling. Jesus had died. Some people had said he, he had risen. People had given testimony to that. Thomas said, you're crazy. You're crazy. So Jesus ends up appearing to Thomas. He says, have you believed because you have seen me? All right. I added the all right. He said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's all of us. We are, we are opening God's word, preaching about a God that we cannot see manifest to us in the flesh. We were all just singing a minute ago to a God that is not visible like we're visible to one another right now. Even as you've come into this warehouse, wherever your faith is at, you open that bulletin, you sang those words, you open God's word, you're listening to the dude in the yellow sweatshirt, right? It's an act of faith. It might be that much faith for you today. It's an act of faith. It's intermingled with your fear and y'all got fear today. It's intermingled in it. We are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And the Lord is blessing us in our battle to believe. Peter talked about this. He said, the tested, the tested genuineness of your faith, it's more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire so that it may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus is not going to just play games with your faith. Why? Because it's precious to him. And so he treats you like a father treats a son, like a loving father treats a son. He treats you like that. And he takes your faith, whatever percentage you got of it right now, 1%, 86.3%, I don't know. He takes it and he sees it as something valuable, something to be treasured. And so somebody that, that has that kind of care and love for you and your faith, he's going to do those things that increase it, that are always on your best behalf that always allow you at some place on that uphill journey to look at Jesus and go, I'm not sure I understood why that happened or why you did that, but I have a clearer picture of your heart for me. I have a clearer picture of your heart for humanity, which is that you came, you died, you sacrificed, you rose so that I might believe these things that I'm struggling to believe. And that this will all lead to a day when I see you face to face in glory for eternity. And then I get it. Then I see it. Then I understand it. Not as much today, though. So, Lord, help me believe. And the Lord says, I will. And you're going to have some hard days in that but I've surrounded you with people that will help you and will encourage you in that faith that increasingly goes up at an incline to the glory of God and for your good. 
And for us to see Jesus and go, thank you for loving me in hard ways. Like this man would be able to look back and go, I remember that moment. And I just wanted him to come to the house. And I was begging him. And he wasn't responding to me. And I just wanted him to come to the house. And he wouldn't come to the house. And then he said, just go. And I, I, I didn't know what to do. So I went. But something happened when I took that step. And he changed my heart. He transformed it in that moment. And I believed. He didn't act in how I asked him to act. He acted in how he acted for the sake of something bigger, the bigger picture, the bigger narrative in my life. So I'm going to pray that the Lord will allow us to see that bigger narrative in our uphill faith. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, we thank you for listening to us and our longings like you did this man. Lord, we thank you for caring about our fear and faith. Lord, we thank you for blessing us in our battle to believe. Here we are. You're blessing us. You've brought us to a place where we can be encouraged. We can be reminded of your goodness. Lord, because of the cross, because of your death, because of your resurrection, it's been done in our life. Our faith is a gift from you. So Lord, I pray that we wouldn't squander that gift. I pray that we would move close to you like this man did, that we would pursue you, that we would open your word, that we would open our lips and commune with you, that we would pray with you, that we would ask you like this man did because you hear the longings of our heart you care like no other about our, both our fear and our faith. And Lord, you show, our, you show your favor to us. You bless us in this battle to believe because it's a battle. Thank you for being so kind to us. We don't understand everything that you do. We don't understand everything you allow to happen. We can't trace your hand. But Lord, we do ask that you would help us increasingly trust your heart as you continue to test our faith because it is precious to you. So Lord, would you, even right now, as we sing together, as we are reminded in this, in this closing song about the faith of the people that have gone before us, that you walked with them and you helped them to persevere, would you do that for us today? And Lord, for those who, who haven't even put out that first step on that uphill journey, Lord, would you draw them to you? Would you draw them to repentance and faith in you so that they could be on that journey with us? Would you break them down? Would you bring them to a safe and secure place, which is what we step into when we begin this journey of faith? Because you hold us fast and you keep us secure. So thank you, Lord, for that truth. I pray that it encourages us and it renews us and restores us today, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.